one week down, many more to go. College basketball season underway with a bang. We have had now six days of action. Uh, the sixth day is coming to a close as we speak, Brad. We are recording at the end of a, dare I say, entertaining Minnesota-Princeton game. Princeton uh, did not look good, but credit goes to Ben Johnson because any podcast listener could tell you, I did not have Ben Johnson going 3-0 to start the season. Yes. Western Kentucky also did not look good. I don't know that Minnesota's – I don't think they're any better than any significant amount better than we thought they would be, but I will give credit on two, two points. One, he seems to have a very good rotation set. Like they're only playing like six and a half guys, which is fine um, because that's all the guys that they have that are like functional basketball players. Um, And their bench seems very locked in. They're playing together. They're playing, they're playing hard. Give, give, give Ben Johnson a lot of credit. In a week when a lot of coaches lost by games, Ben Johnson did not. And his team is playing very hard. So kudos to the Minnesota Golden Gophers. I don't know how we started a first week preview, uh, first week breakdown podcast on Minnesota, but we did. Here we are. Uh, six days in, I've been to four basketball games. None of them have been close. Uh, one of them was decided by 58 points. So, yeah, it's been it's been something. I'll be at uh, Illinois Marquette, hopefully the best game of my uh, my first week. That'll be tomorrow. Uh, I guess probably Marquette's looking shaky podcast. Oh yeah. But Illinois, and Illinois doesn't have Kofi. That might keep it close. I mean, I, I haven't seen either of the Marquette games. So I don't have Fox sports too, but if they're kind of being plagued by the same thing that Providence is where their, their bigs just can't stay in front of the smaller quote unquote bigs for the mid majors that are really like two guards. Um, then that should not be an issue against Illinois because, you know, Marquette's starting, Three bigs. They're starting Justin Lewis, Olivier Maxens Prosper, and Kirk Quath. Um, so I could see how maybe perimeter defense could be an issue against Illinois. That that really shouldn't. You know, you're you're, you're going to go up against guarding the ball screens. But yeah, that'll be a matchup. Yeah. But yeah, so I was at four games this week. It was a lot of fun. I was kind of shuttling around Chicagoland. Uh, Two more at least this coming week, maybe a third or fourth, depending on if I'm energized, and then Vegas the week after. So we are really plugging along here, Brad. Uh, you had two Friars games. They won. It was kind of shaky, like you said. Uh, it, it was but, gross. It was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Yes, but wins are wins. Are wins. And, again, in a week where there were a lot of bye game losses across the landscape, uh, you take your wins when you can get them. Uh, I open. I, I will open this podcast before we dive into the biggest games. We got Champions Classic, but which is where we'll start. The biggest shout out of the week goes to UC San Diego. UC San Diego. I had zero expectation for in year two of a D one transition. They beat Cal in their opener, eighty six seven. Say okay, cool. You know, road win, good good stuff over a bad Pac twelve team. They didn't turn around and beat George Washington by 20. Now, I have zero idea why George Washington was playing on the road at UC San Diego, but they were. Jimmy on one on the vacation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, because he's going out to UC San Diego and uh, Cal State Fullerton. Uh, but his team appear- apparently was on vacation because they lost by 20, removing all momentum after a fairly impressive um, loss to Maryland. They played very well. Joe Bamisiel looked very good. I was in on the Joe Bamisiel wave. Uh, but 
we will begin our podcast with a shout out to Ben Johnson, a shout out to UC San Diego, uh, and, and their head coach Eric Olin, who is two and zero on the season, and they earned some flowers. They might be a factor in the uh, in the Big West. So, is this with their that, first little, year, or is this their second year? Second year. They were in last year. So we got a lot of bye games. We'll, we'll hit on a few of them that we might have caught a few minutes of here and there. Um, but we will start with the big games, and we'll kind of go through some random observations from games we watched, whether every mid-major games, high-major games, what have you. Uh, and then finally, we'll look ahead at the end of the podcast to the coming week and the, some of the games to watch. So let's start, Brad, Tuesday Night Champions Classic. Uh, I was not watching for the majority of Michigan State, Kansas. I did go back and watch some of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, what did we learn about these two teams? Because it felt like that game – you know, from what I watched, there was more to learn because you had the you know much better than expected performance by Agbaji, the much better performance on the other side by AJ Hogar than we expected, some of the struggles from Tyson Walker. In the end, it was you know the game played out relatively similar to how I expected it. You know, relatively close most of the way. Can't just kind of slowly inch away as the game rolls on. Uh, but a competitive ball game. Did not assuage any of my concerns about Michigan State's upside from its guards. I'll say that. Yeah, I just watched the replay of this one as well. I was, I was very surprised by the Egbaji explosion. You know, maybe even more surprised that everyone moved him into the first round of their mock draft. Him and Trevor Keels, one, one good game, straight to the straight to the first round, which. Uh, I want to see a little more of, of both before I go that far. But Agbaji is definitely an NBA player. Improved the shot, improved the game off the bounce. He, he's what every team needs. He can play multiple positions. He can defend. Um, so if he can really up his offense, he should be in, in, in for a really big year. Uh, I, I love that Kansas went with Harris and Martin in the backcourt. Harris is not not quite ready for a breakout per se, but he's – He's starting to play really well. Uh, David McCormick had had some moments as well. So Kansas got a solid ensemble performance. This this game feels so long ago, too. Uh, Only, what, five days ago, but it feels like it's been a a lifetime. Um, You you mentioned Hogarth had like 17 or so points for a Michigan State Walker shot. Wasn't quite falling. A lot of people are still high on Max Christie as a first-rounder. Uh, didn't didn't pop in that first game per se, but uh, Kansas controlled it throughout, and I think that's not a surprise given you have one team, at least in my rankings, I have Kansas number two coming, and I have Michigan State like thirty first. Yes. Uh, I think that they really showed that that differential on opening night. Yeah, I mean, a couple other thoughts, like you mentioned, the Harris Martin backcourt is interesting, and I think something that they should continue to utilize at times, but we should note that they were without Jalen Wilson as he deals with that suspension tied to the DUI Uh, that created obviously the opportunity to do that more because Wilson is a starter. He's a guy who played 25, 30 minutes a game. You would think, Um, you know, I don't think Dewan Harris is playing 36 minutes a game this season. Just like reality wise, that's not going to happen. But the fact that Dewan Harris is Far ahead of Joe Yesifu. He barely um, played, yeah. I mean, Joe Yesifu is behind Bobby Pettiford 
in the rotation right now. Like Joey Asifu is not in the Kansas rotation. It doesn't feel like once Jalen Jalen uh, Jalen Wilson comes back, which I was surprised by. I, I'm a big Asifu guy. You know, he was so good in the tournament, so good down the stretch for Drake. He's an explosive athlete. Like him not even being ahead of Bobby Pettiford is very surprising to me. Um, but I, you know, I think I think Kansas has a lot of lineup versatility. Uh, that's something that we have talked about in the past. Uh, but you know, this is a team that seems like they're definitely going to play smaller. Even you know, it, this team did not play like like they they gave Lightfoot uh, they gave Lightfoot ten backup center minutes, and then Clements played four minutes. Like they're willing to play very very small, uh, even with Wilson. Like I think I think I had thought maybe with you know, some of the guys they brought in up front, they were going to play bigger, play two two bigs more often. That you know, you might even slide Wilson to the three occasionally. That is not happening. I mean, this this team is going to play smaller. Is going to play around, you know, four four out one in with Wilson or even Agbaji pushing to the four, uh, and uh, I think we'll be right where we kind of pegged them as a top five, top seven team in the sport. Uh, they did nothing to dissuade me of that, and I don't think Michigan State changed my mind any. I still want to see more of them. You know, looking forward to they have Butler on the road at Hinkle on Wednesday. That'll be an interesting test. They play Loyola Chicago who I am very high on after seeing twice this week. They play them at Battle for Atlantis uh, in two weeks. That'll be an interesting test. Those will help me really understand whether this Michigan State team is worth kind of the early, some of the buzz that you were hearing uh, in, in the preseason. And then just a little housekeeping on Kansas. Um, so they, they had said Coleman Lands was hurt, but he, he was ready for opening night. Uh, hit a couple shots, yeah. if uh, memory serves. Yes. Kyle Cuffey's going to redshirt, which is no surprise. Uh, Cam Martin is going to register, which is a surprise. Yes. Um, the way, because I, I watched the highlights of Kansas's inner squad scrimmage, and Bill Self was on the call, uh, and, and just kind of getting the pieces of the conversation that Self was talking about on, you know, on, on the broadcast. It seemed like Martin was going to play, uh, but I guess Martin asked him for a red shirt, which I think is a Decent move on Martin's part. You're definitely going to lose Igbaji and McCormick, probably, and probably Wilson, too. And then Lightfoot's definitely gone. He's a six-year guy, so maybe there's a, there's there's more chance for minutes. Um, so those two guys are going to redshirt. Bobby Pettiford, Self had said it in the preseason, he, he, he's going to be like the next great Kansas guard. Uh, so he he seem, is seemingly in front of Yesifu and, and Coleman Lands in, in the backcourt. He's going to play. Uh, very athletic point guard. Not... A shooter, like like he he his uh, three point percentage is going to look pretty ugly this year, but he can score um, mid range a little bit behind the arc and around the rim. And then lastly, Zach Clements, who I know a lot of people really like, including you, Kevin, in their Tarleton State game, he like barely played, uh, and I guess self said he 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 was worried about the quicker, yes. quicker, s- smaller mid major front line against Clements. So it seems like Clements is going to be a sporadically used guy. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think just to close the book on Pettiford, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if self kind of views him that way, if he's just saying like, okay, we're going to force feed a minutes over a Coleman lands over a Yesifu because we think he's the guy of the future. And a, we don't want him to transfer B want to get him these minutes kind of the way that, you know, someone like a Frank Mason or a Devonte Graham earned early minutes in their career. 
Should we move on to game two of the Champions Classic? Yes, we should. You texted me during. I want to. I want to start with the losing team in this game. Duke. Uh, Duke wins this one, seventy nine seventy one over Kentucky. Entertaining game, close most of the way. Duke kind of pulled away early in the second half, and then Kentucky fought back to keep it interesting. Uh, I want to start with the text you sent me in the middle of the second half. You said Kentucky doesn't look like a team with top ten talent. Expand on that, because I just, I agree with you. I agree with you for that's worth. But I well, want the, to. The thing is that they may have top ten talent, but watching them, it just doesn't it doesn't feel that way. Like Kellen Gray hit some big shots in that game. Shebway is a monster on the glass. He is just destroying the offensive glass. Like, like really, no one that we've seen in recent memory, he he gets like a double double with offensive rebounds. I mean, Wheeler's had good games. Washington's lottery, obviously a lottery pick. But just overall, it, it seems like this this uh, Kentucky team has a lot of kind of law role players. Like Davion Mintz is a nice piece as your third guard, as your sixth year senior, which he is. He's just kind of blah out there. Jacob Toppin is a non-factor offensively. Lance Ware was kind of blah out there. Collins is really raw. Now, now Frederick's out for the season. Uh, Brooks is solid, but it, it just doesn't feel like they have any top-end talent. And now maybe that's because Washington was playing poorly, and if yeah. Washington was playing to his capabilities, maybe all the pieces would would, would look better. But as it stands right now, you know, Shebway, I guess, just his style of play, Wheeler with you know being a really small guard and, and Grady primarily being like a shooter feels like this Kentucky's t- talent was a little overrated in the preseason. Where you're not you're not running any plays yeah. for you're not running any plays for Sheepway. No. Yeah, which, he, which, he honestly, which makes like him look limited. Yeah. Right. He'll score 15 points a game just because he's going to get like six offensive rebounds most nights, and those are going to hand you like. Theoretically, he's going to get like six to eight points off of those alone, you know, and they'll yeah. get like a dunk in transition, you know, like he's going to score even if he's not a weapon on the block and he's, a, he's solid on the block. Like, I'm not, I don't want to say he's not a guy who can play down in the post, but like his, his skill set is not like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to just toss it to him on the block. He's not a, he's not a Drew Timmy, right? He's not dominating the game with, with his skill in the post. And like I said, I I think that they do have top ten talent. It just it doesn't look normal for a Kentucky right. Yes, I think I think you were right in saying that a lot of it was Ty Ty not playing that well in this game. And look, he was fine, right? Like he he made good decisions. I didn't think he hurt Kentucky. He just wasn't making shots. And when he's not making shots, I think this offense is going to struggle in the half court um, because. Look, Severe Wheeler's great in transition. Uh, he played a very good floor game in this game, even though he turned it over a fair amount. Like, he was just active. Um, but they need like they need they they need Ty Ty to be able to create for them because Grady is not is not a scorer as much as he is a shooter right now, I think at Kentucky. Uh, and you know, some of the more upside guys, like you mentioned, like you mentioned, Toppin played 23 minutes in this game. Dave, I'm going to say 21 minutes in this game. Bryce, Bryce Hopkins, Damian Collins, who a lot of people were hyping Hopkins, and I certainly like Collins' upside. Those guys played a combined four minutes. I think by the end of the year, those two guys need to be in the rotation. 
uh, because they bring you know different different edge talent. Hopkins more polished. Collins for the upside, especially on the defensive end. Uh, you know, I think I think as those guys kind of work their way in, uh, they'll I'll feel a little bit better about Kentucky. But you know, I was impressed with their resolve and their compete level. You know, Duke kept kept coming at them. Uh, you know, Keels was making plays. Ben Caro was making plays. Well, no, Moore had a good game. But they didn't quit. Kentucky kept fighting. And I think that's something that will serve the well. And I think that's partially, again, something where them having older guys will help them. You know, these are guys who've been through wars. Colin Grady has played in A-10 tournaments and NCAA tournaments. And, you know, Severe Willis played two years in the SEC. And, like, we've kind of been over this. Like, their experience, level, I think, held them in this game. Helped them stay in it when Duke was punched them in the mouth. But Duke was clearly the more talented team. Uh, and I thought... You know, certainly looked the part. They looked a lot less the part in their two bye games. I don't know how much to make of that. If that's just like whatever, it was a bye game. They weren't really locked in. But, you know, certainly this team looked like it had national title potential when Trevor Keels was playing the way he did. And he took over this game with his aggression going to the basket. Uh, he hit a three. Uh, he's drawn fouls. He was distributing a little bit. He was handling the ball. He was really that primary operator in the pick and roll. Um just played an outstanding game and was quiet in their two bye games. So do we think this is kind of a situation where this team is, is this team goes as far as Trevor Keels takes them? I mean, their, their depth is, is kind of limited where like they have a really strong top nine, but they really only have like nine guys. So they really guys have like Rose. And Jalen Blakes is barely, you know, barely yeah, in the rotation. So, so you're going to need, Consistent performances from Roach and Keels because there's really no one else to turn to, um, and you know, and, and they're two bench guys. Joey Baker, two of the three bench guys. Joey Baker is just a shooter, and Theo John is just the backup center. So they basically have the center, and then they have four. They have six guys for four spots. Right, you have Roach, Keels, Moore, Bencaro, Griffin, and Baker to play one through four. That's it. Like that's the whole roster. Yeah, so they, they don't have a ton of options. And, you know, I'm, I obviously loved Keels' performance. I loved his, his aggressiveness. I know you were you were thinking Gary Trent for a comp. I was thinking Travion Graham. Uh, just, you know, both guys, big physical, two guards. I'm big, on the, I'm big on the lazy comp to the player who played on the same exact team. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's tough – Doing the comps because you have to try to think of all these guys on the fly, right. which um, is why they always come up with the guys who play on the same team, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or lefties with lefties and similar looking people. You know, Daryl Morey actually wrote about this about how it's, like, it's such a flawed system. But anyway, continue. The the defense was good. I know uh, Severe Wheeler had a very good game for for Kentucky, but down the stretch he had multiple like dribbling into traffic turnovers. You know, against his Duke defense, they're gonna be very athletic. Theo John was great uh, on the defensive end. Doesn't seem like Mark Williams is taking quite the jump we expected yet. Um, so, so it's good that they have a veteran guy like John back there who can c- control the paint. Uh, you know, play play great post defense, and you know he 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 has a little more passing chops and offensive chops than he's giving credit for. So he's a big piece for Duke. But yeah. With so few options, it's really going to come down to, you know, can, can Joey Baker hit shots? Is 
Bancaro and Keels and Moore and Roach in in double figures every game. Um, so that's something to watch for down the stretch because, yeah, they, at least box score-wise, they struggled against Campbell yesterday um, after that very impressive one over Kentucky. Yes. Um, Paolo, I thought he he looked the part, right? You know, Absolutely. Looked the part of a national play of the year candidate, looked the part of a number one overall pick. He's so polished. He's so complete. Uh, you know, I wonder what the dynamic will be once A.J. Griffin fully gets acclimated, right? Like, he was clearly not 100%. He only played 11 minutes. But this is a guy that was really, really kind of hyped up as a recruit, um, as a potential. Before he got injured as a recruit, people were talking about him as maybe the number one player in the class, or he was top five player. Um, you know, he barely played over the weekend. He played 10 minutes against Army, six minutes against Campbell. This team's ceiling becomes special if they get the like elite AJ Griffin or like at least like like fringe all conference AJ Griffin even. If they get that AJ Griffin in the by, by like mid January, watch out. Absolutely, but I think for now he's going to be like a bench piece and a energy piece. Um, just, just kind of what happens when you're starting behind everyone else with a preseason injury as a freshman. So do you, do you, are you concerned by the fact that the, um, they don't really seem to have a point guard? Not, not really. Cause the ball is going to be in the hands of all those different right. one through four. Like Carroll's going to have the ball to operate in the mid post. Wendell Moore's been handling the ball a little bit more. Keels was handling the ball as a, as you said, he was running a lot of pick and roll. Roach is good in the rim, so I think that they have they have plenty of guys who can dribble, pass, and, and shoot. So yeah. I'm not worried about that at all for Duke. Seven assists, nine turnovers in the game against Kentucky. Won the game despite. How about this? Duke beat a team that a lot of a lot of us think will be top ten team in Kentucky, or at least close to that. When they got out rebounded by uh, eight. Well, it's because Oscar Sheba is the best rebounder. They, the got, they got rebounded by eight. They made one three, and they had seven assists and nine turnovers. And they won that game. Pretty impressive. The the assist to turnover one is kind of misleading because nine turnovers is a perfectly fine number. Right. And but then if you're going to get enough baskets going going one-on-one or creating or getting – Right, but it's usually not work. winning basketball if you have seven assists in the game. Not that you always want to be only sharing it. We've kind of went over this, like the teams that the teams that have the high, like super high team assist rates usually aren't very like good offenses because they don't have like a guy who can just go get one. But you don't want to be like too extreme. All right, so that's that's, that's all I had on on Duke and Kentucky. Um, um, do you want to close the book on Tuesday? Talk about any other games that we got a chance to watch from that day? Sure. So, I mean, I was at Fairfield Providence. Yes. Kind of t- talking about Fairfield Providence and Sacred Heart Providence, which I was at both those games. The The fundamental issue with this Providence team is going to be Porkler and Watson are both playing really well. They're scoring and, and whatnot. Porkler's a great rebounder, but they're, they're just too slow laterally. So these pretend big men who, who, who play in the mid-major conferences, they can just blow by. These pretend big men. 
Oakland slanderous, sir. Well, well they're, they're wings and guards that are having to slide down, and they're quicker. And there's probably three or four times in the two games where the opposing quote unquote center is standing a couple feet behind the three point line, and Watson is guarding him, just kind of chilling at the free throw line while they knock in a wide open three. Um, and so hopefully when we're playing Seton Hall and UConn and even Villanova with Eric Dixon, you know, their, their bigs aren't going to take that shot. And, and we'll see against Wisconsin because their bigs will take that shot, but they can't drive past us, right? Like, like if, if, if Watson's getting beat off the dribble by Stephen Crowell, I mean, we have serious, serious issues. Yes. Uh, but Durham looks really good on the ball a lot of the time. Breed looked good in, in uh, game two when he finally got some extended run. I expect him to play a lot more. I'm not a big Manaya guy. He played better in game two than game one. Reeves is still, I mean, he takes these incredibly difficult three-pointers. Um, it, it's funny. I was thinking about this earlier was, you know, Chris Monroe, who was like the 11th man for Providence last year, whenever he would get in the game, he would find himself like two open threes in, in like five minutes of playing time, and he would brick them both. But Chris Monroe gets more open threes in five minutes, and A.J. Reeves does play in 35 minutes in a whole game. I, I don't really know what Reeves is doing, if he's not moving around enough, he's, if, if he's not hunting enough, but uh, he just cannot get an easy look at three. It's crazy. Um, and so Providence, I'm, I'm not buying nor selling any Providence stock. You know, I had them 44th in the preseason. I think I'd keep them there after, after two games. And I'm expecting them to beat Wisconsin tomorrow. I mean, the, the, there's a plus seven line. It's down to plus six and a half now. But um, I'm certainly not, not buying this uh, Wisconsin team to be head and shoulders over Providence even at home. Well, for, for our Chris Monroe, one day he'll get hot update. Uh, he has not gotten hot so far. He is three for 17 from the field and one for 10 from three through two games against Richmond and Memphis for NC Central. Uh, so, yeah. yeah but he then was beat Richmond. He has six turnovers and three field goals. So, strong start to the Chris Monroe era in, uh, I don't know where NC Central is. No, somewhere in North. It's in Durham, North Carolina. Okay, it's where Duke is. All right. Uh, that team, that roster loaded with some former names. Asante Price, Georgia Tech. Uh, Eric Boone, Georgia Southern. Randy Miller, he's around. I don't remember where, but he was around. And then, I mean, what a missed opportunity. I mean, we've gotten so many cool by-game upsets. But, man, Akron had Ohio State on the ropes. Oh, yeah. I wasn't able to see this game. I know Kyle Young was out. Uh, Ohio State, surprisingly... I guess Cedric Russell isn't playing up to par. And then Justice Suing came off the bench. Haven't been able to find out really what that was about. But, you know, starting the Michi Johnson, Jamari Wheeler backcourt, there is no scoring there. I mean, that that could be the worst shooting backcourt in, like, the entire country. Um, and so they un, unsurprisingly struggled to score, but ended up eking out Acker. But then their, their, their second bye game, they had a closer than expected outcome against Niagara, too. So that Ohio State-Xavier game on Thursday is something to watch because both teams are a little injured, both teams are a little disappointing, but something's got to give. Yeah, that might be a kind of classic, like, oh, my gosh, Xavier beat Ohio State? Xavier's back. Travis Steele, baby. I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, they're, maybe, maybe, maybe Ohio State's not that good yet. 
Uh, see, like EJ Liddell is kind of carrying the load right now, just doing everything he could. Subin came off the bench again in their Niagara game. Um, did play 16 minutes, have 10 points. I think uh, I think Chris Holman just loves Justin Orange so much. Like he refuses to bench Justin Orange. He loves he loves that Justin Orange will play 30 minutes, take like five shots in a game. Two of them will be threes, or no, all of them will be threes. He'll make two of them. All right, great. Hey, gravity, man. Yeah, he does have a lot of gravity. Um, speaking of fun upsets that were not, I watched a little bit of this, the Hofstra-Houston uh, game. Ooh. Now, I watched mostly, like, the later stages when Houston kind of made its charge down the stretch. So, uh, you know, towards the end there, you know, Hofstra wore down. Houston was doing a good job of, of kind of speeding them up. Uh and then force and then and then really forcing them in the half court to, to have ugly possessions. And then Marcus Sasser made some big plays. But this was this was a surprising result. I do think Hofstra's very good. You know, Hofstra went on the road to Duquesne and dominated that game. Um, so this is a good group, uh, without a doubt. This team is a very good backcourt. Hofstra did this without um Jalen Ray, who's a leading returning scorer, a guy that you know, people expect to be one of the best players at CAA, if not CAA player of the year. Uh, they, to, to go on the road and play these two games the way they did, very impressive. Um, you know, Speedy Claxton has a really good backcourt. Aaron Estrada is a good player. He's tough. He's physical. He can shoot the three. Zach Cooks from NJIT, that kind of undersized scoring guard who can really, really shoot it. Uh, and then uh, kind of combo forward spot, Darling Stone, Dubar. Uh, he had fi- he had 15 against Hofstra and six rebounds, or against Duquesne, excuse me. He had nine against uh, Houston. He's, he seemed active in the minutes I saw. Uh, and then uh, up front, another transfer name of last in the past uh, with uh, Abiyomi Iola, Arkansas, uh, Arkansas legend. So uh, I like this Hofstra group. I think they're probably the favorites to win the CAA tournament now. Uh, I like JMU a little bit more than them in the preseason. I still probably do. But JMU not eligible to play in the postseason because of stupidity. Are they eligible to play in the postseason? They're not, elig- they're not eligible to play in the conference tournament because the CAA is being petty. Uh, so, yeah, Hofstra, very impressive. Not like setting off all the alarm bells of Houston yet. I'll hold off. Uh, Brad, Brad was ready to take an early victory lap, I think. No, no, no victory laps until February. <laughs> well, the, you, you, the you, Oklahoma you really Post-Trey Young you, rule. I think you wanted to take a victory lap on, uh, on Virginia. Really well, no, I, I'm not. I'm not quite ready yet. Um, was that on Tuesday night too? It was. I was. I was kind of working my way down, down the schedule. Um, so if we could just keep this order that I had not shared with you, just so I don't forget anything. Um, how about all these kind of mid-major bubble hopefuls are taking massive hits, but. Ohio comes out and beats Belmont and then beats Cleveland State. Um, and then talking about massive hits, I mean, Pittsburgh losing to the Citadel with no, obviously, Jamarius Burton. And then, and then Judah Mintz decommitting the next day. And then Judah Mintz decommits, um, which well, was in the cards for a while, I guess. But Yes, I, I had heard in August, actually, that Judah Mintz was considering decommitting. So, not news. But it finally happened, which sucks for Pitt, I guess. Uh, what, a, what an awful, what, two weeks for Pitt? Uh, uh, they, they would not have been good. But 
uh, Nike Sabandi Paris's ACL in the exhibition out for the season. Ethiel Horton punches a police officer. Uh, let you would think kind of done, right? Like it's going to be a while. Um, so all of a sudden you're down to one guard. You then not only lose to the Citadel, get like the doors blown off by the Citadel. Like they 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 got housed, and uh, and then Judah Minsky commits. So uh, things not going great for for Jeff Cable in year four. Let's put it that way. And you have Dayton, who plays a close by game in Illinois Chicago, and then shockingly loses to UMass Lowell. Um, that that was a team who I had NIT, and I think some A10 slash Dayton fans were hopeful for, for a little bit more, maybe a tournament berth for Dayton. Um, that is a massive, for, you know, massive blow. And, you know, their season is not over. I, I saw the Dayton fans talking about that. A lot of people still just they don't get the college basketball kind of quirk where like your season's not literally over, but it's basically over because you just took such a, you know, you, you, you dug such an enormous hole on the second day of the season or a fourth day of the season. That's going to be so difficult to get out of that. The odds are so against you ever make the NCAA tournament from, from this point that it's basically over. Um, and now the A-10s is a weak enough league where, you, you know, you can turn it around, win the conference tournament, or even maybe win enough conference games that you're back in the mix. But uh, odds are not looking good for Dayton, for VCU, for, for a bunch of these A-10 teams, especially at at, at the bottom. The, the bottom was looking weak going in, uh, you know, after Ira Lee gets hurt for uh, George Washington. And, and then we have a bunch of close buy games and, and losses for that whole bottom portion of the A-10. Yeah, let's let's kind of go through the A-10 here briefly. It wasn't just for opening night, but it was it was not pretty. Uh, you know, St. Bonaventure survived a bad first half against Siena and a bad first 30 minutes against Canisius. They win both those games. Uh, Richmond takes a not bad loss like that. Like Utah State might wind. There's a good chance neutral court Utah State is a Q2. But that was a game you, prob- you probably should have won. Much closer to home, we were playing in Annapolis against a team from Utah, uh, a Utah State team that had lost to UC Davis on opening night, and you lose that game. That's not great for their at-large hopes. They looked uh, slow in that game. I watched a good portion of that game. Richmond was, like, stuck in the mud. Yeah, which, is, which, is not, which is not good when you're playing against uh, – Justin Bean and Rylan Jones. Bean went off. Bean had like 30 points or something. Right, but but, yeah. but those guys aren't exactly speed demons, I guess would be a high point. No. But uh, I think it's because Richmond's team's whole all like 37 years old and like kind of ready for the men's league. Yeah, Golden blew a couple of like wide open threes, like way short. Um yeah. Burton didn't didn't look all there. I I guess Sherrod is still hurt. I mean, they just didn't have any juice at all. And then you look at Utah State, and I, I didn't see the California-Davis game, but Justin Bean had a huge game. Horvath was hitting shots. Jones and Ashworth were were, were getting to the rim. So um, I, I did not put Utah State in my top 100 preseason. They were very close. Um, yeah, I, think, I think maybe they could maybe be like a top 80-ish team at best, but I'm not seeing another trip to the NCAA tournament. I'm not really buying them as a contender in the Mountain West. Now, they don't have the Craig Smith magic anymore. Ryan Odom, very good. Not Craig Smith. 
uh, that Dayton game, I did actually watch a fair amount of UMass Lowell. Um, you know, I wasn't surprised that Dayton was going to have its struggles. I just thought they'd find a way to win these games with their athleticism. They got a lot to figure out rotationally, right? They just, they don't, I don't think they know who's going to play right now. You know, the two backup guards in this game were Elijah Weaver and Malachi Smith. They were the closing guards in this game. Um, and again, that's not a bad thing. That's just something you work through. Uh, Kobe Elvis got hurt early. He was not a factor even before he got got hurt. Um, they need him. The biggest thing I'll note was that one of the major selling points for Dayton in the in the preseason was, you know, Tumani Kamara coming in from Georgia as just like six foot eight skilled forward that they could use in like a four out one in Obi role. They're using him as like a true power forward next to Deron Holmes, who's a true center, which I did not know. Deron Holmes was listed on their recruiting service like a small forward slash power forward. Uh, Deron Holmes is like a defensive center. He had six blocks. He's like running around, like guarding ball screens. And he's not, he's a little herky jerky. He's going to be very, very good. You know, I think he's going to have like a special career at Dayton if he stays for three, four years. He could be a, a, a two or three and done, I think. But, like, it felt like they had built the team. or It felt like the way they were playing stylistically, they were, like, building the team around Deron Holmes. And if they're building their team around Deron Holmes, they're not going to be very good this year. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's a bad loss for NCAA tournament hopes. Uh, VCU's loss to uh, Wagner was depressing. They scored 44 points. Kind of confirmed the questions about their offense. Like they, they just don't have any juice on that end of the floor. They scored 57 against St. Peter's. St. Peter's is a good defensive team, so I get it. But, you know, they have no shooting, no one who can create a shot. Uh, I think it's going to be be a challenge for them until Ace Baldwin gets there. And even when Ace is there, how good will you be? You know, even as you work your way down it, like you said, you know, UMass gets housed by 20 at Yale. Yes, Yale's a good team. UMass should never be losing by 20 to Yale. Like that, this is kind of another, you know, Matt McCall, like underwhelming team talent-wise, I can already kind of tell. I thought maybe they'd have the right mix with these point guards. Doesn't look like it early. Duquesne lost that by game to Hofstra. Not a great, not a bad Hofstra team, so we'll let it fly. But St. Joe's, like St. Joe's needed a late surge to beat Maryland Eastern Shore. Uh, LaSalle lost on opening night to Sacred Heart. We mentioned GW's loss to uh, San Diego, UC San Diego. Fordham lost to Manhattan. I mean, the whole bottom of the league. I mean, every, everyone in the league had bad weeks, I would argue, except for Rhode Island and uh, George Mason. I mean, St. Louis is 3-0, but they should be 3-0. They play Eastern Illinois, Central Arkansas, and Harris Stowe. They play Memphis coming up with a big test. George Mason looks like a freaking world beater. Uh, Josh Adura looks like a first-team All-A-10 guy. And uh, Kim English looks like the next coming of uh, of God as a coach. So those uh, must have been two two great bye games for the uh, George Mason Patriots. But they played they played three bye games. Uh, they played Stony Brook, Penn, and Morgan State, all conference competitors in their own leagues. They beat them by 22, 21, and thirty seven, and they've climbed in Ken Palm from two eleven to one fifty six. I have Ooh. gambled on them three times and won all three times. On the Bovada Sportsbook? Oh, yeah, baby. And then, you know, you, you were talking about Daron Holmes's, sw- you know, switchability and garden ball screens. 
One guy who really popped in that department who came out of nowhere for me was Deontay Miles for Xavier. He yes. is enormous, and he can really move. And he's starting and playing more than Jack Nunji, which is surprising. Um, so he could be a real defensive weapon for Xavier, who's playing close games but just trying to keep their head above water until they get Fremantle back. Um, I, I guess they're going to use Fremantle at the four and, and keep that Miles-Nunji split at the five. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, but we will see for certain. Ben Stanley is also out, so, still recovering um, from the the ACL tear from last year. And then just kind of one note before I kick it back to you. Yes. Uh, I, I did not see this game, but Miami of Ohio beat Georgia Tech. Reminded me of, of last year. Made me smile uh, when Georgia Tech dropped its first two bye games last year because they didn't do – any uh, <laughs> yes. defensive drills in practice. They do any contact practicing, which inherently means no defense and no rebounding. They, they were so afraid of contact tracing, they decided they'd rather lose games. <laughs> like we'd rather, we'd rather lose the games than get them canceled. <laughs> so such so as made me think of that. Uh, which I don't know Georgia Tech is an NCAA tournament team, but uh, still, still kind of amusing nonetheless. Sorry, Michael Hunter. Uh. Miami yeah. Ohio better than better than people realize. Like they're they were top 150 Ken Palm last year. Uh, they beat Lamar by 30, which I was surprised by. Uh, Lamar has talent, so maybe they're just sleepy sleepers. But yeah, that's not good. Uh, I'll close the book on. I didn't watch a ton of this game, but uh, Alabama Louisiana Tech that was kind of hyped up as like the like a sneaky game of opening night. And Kenneth Lofton and all that all that jazz. Uh, Alabama dominated this game. I mean, I was very impressed with the bits I watched. They were, it was just a clinic, right? I mean, they were, they were sharing the ball like crazy. They were getting to the free throw line. They were attacking. They were hitting threes. Um, JD Davison did not start. He played 26 minutes. He was solid when he was on the floor. Um, Juwan Gary came off the bench behind uh, Betty Ako. Betty Ako played 11 minutes and fouled out. So kind of, I think we're right, even though we were wrong, if that makes sense. Uh, I think Juwan Gary got hurt. Yes, ankle, Again, I believe. So that's that's something to watch. They're going to need him. Uh, but this team looked really good. I mean, they look like unbelievably efficient on offense, and Keon Ellis looked fantastic. So uh, all positive signs for the Tide, and I don't really have anything else from opening night other than that I watched Loyola look like a complete dominant force against Cop, uh, against Conference State, and they look like a slightly less dominant but still very good force against Florida Gulf Coast on Saturday. They look and very just, good. They're playing, they're playing very, very fast. And I'll just wrap up our opening night with rapid fire here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Manny Bates, done for the year yes. after playing one minute for NC State. Um, I, I had NC State as the last team in the NCAA tournament. I, I, I was buying this group. Um, if I could do it over now that Bates is out, I would not put them in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, they, they still have a chance. Uh, Casey Morsell's playing pretty well. Kim Hayes is a breakout guy. Really uh, great news for the Greg Gant prop. Well, he he's he's still hurt. He has a uh, hernia, I believe. So yeah, we'll but once, once 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 he's healthy, he'll get to play. I don't think it changes much because they're so they're, they're just going from using Bates and Duolona at the five to using Duona and Gibson. Um, but, you know, maybe we'll see some small ball with Helms they and Gant in there four five. But. They're at the end of the play some small ball. Next, we have Wichita State needed a Tyson Etienne buzzer beater to beat Jacksonville State. Uh, I think that this was a bye game with a little more teeth than people expected. 
Jacksonville State has, I know uh, Brandon Huffman at center, former UNC reserve. I think that they're more of like a top 150-ish team than a lot of these other close call by games. Arkansas had a first half scare against Mercer, uh, but turned around. We were talking earlier about the teams that, you know, maybe you could see having a great year from from the mid-major conference and making a at-large push. Northern Iowa is done. Dead. Done, done, done. Shout out to Austin Clonch for beating him in opening night, but it looks slightly less fun now. You're losing to Vermont and Nichols State this week. And Vermont was without Ryan Davis, and Vermont still dominated them. So, Season over. Just doing a one last scroll on opening night. Oh, uh, Nebraska loses to Western Illinois, kind of screwing all their momentum away from the dominant win in the charity exhibition against Colorado. I have, I, have, I have a Nebraska fan who DMs with me a lot about the team. And he was like, I already hate Alonzo Verge. And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of figured we'd get there. Yeah. <laughs> One game. In. And then did uh, you catch any of the Navy-Virginia game by chance? I caught the final like four minutes when Navy was just like scoring and Virginia was not. But I don't. I didn't get like the actual like game flow. It was like, oh, my gosh, Navy's pulling away here. And then a couple late night windows. Um, well, just on, on Virginia first. I mean, I, I had them 39th. I think I'd keep them there. I think they're going to figure it out. But they are very, very reliant on their five starters. Similar to I just, I just enjoyed dunking on the guy who said that I was dumb, stupid, dumb for not ranking him top 25. I said, well, I, I had a Georgetown fancy. I, I had a clown list for not putting Georgetown in the top 100. But the joke's on me because I picked Georgetown in Eliminator, and I took my first strike in week one, which is just devastating. Speaking uh, of Eliminator losses, uh, Washington exactly. losing to a really bad Northern Illinois on opening night, that's a, that's a big yike for, for Mike Hopkins. That's, that's, that's where I was going next. <laughs> I, I was going to say, they, they, then, they then really struggle with Northern Arizona, who's also really bad. Uh, and... I tweeted this like I don't understand how they can be this bad. They have a pretty they good roster. Four guys who started for high major teams last year. Like they should not stink. Like they sh- they should at least be like a competitive product. Last year they were five and twenty one. Okay, whatever. The, the the roster stunk. I'll give you whatever. You know, I don't care. Right? I'll I'll I'll, I'll wave last year. But this year you had an opportunity to flush the deck, bring in new players. And you still stink? And those new players were starters? Yikes. Yikes, man. Yikes. And then, and then just wrapping up opening night, we had four late-night scares with the with the favorite team survived a late push. You had Oregon State edging out Portland State. You had San Diego State edging out Riverside. Stanford edging out Tarleton. And Colorado in overtime edging out Montana State. All right, on day two, much quieter slate. We will move through it much quicker. I was at DePaul, Coppin State that night. DePaul did not look very good. Uh, they, there was a very uh, Leto-esque uh, vibe to the whole thing. Uh, but no Terry, no Bynum. No Terry, no Bynum. But like the whole team was playing one on five. Uh, they have no shooting. Javon Freeman and Philmon Jebrowit hit a couple of shots in the second half to help them pull away. Uh, but it was not pretty. 
Davy Jones dominated the game. He had 23 points and 16 rebounds. Uh, Ty and Grant Foster went to the hospital at halftime uh, after a medical incident in the locker room, which is very scary. Sounds like he's doing well, which is a good sign. Hopefully we see him back soon. But anytime someone's hospitalized, you have to imagine that there are going to be you know significant hurdles to clear in terms of just making sure someone's healthy uh, to, to in order to, to play. So thinking of Tyon, hopefully he's able to get back out there sooner rather than later, but that would be a loss if he can't. No real thoughts on DePaul other than that I think they will be in the pillow fight with Georgetown for last in this conference. This is really not the best game of the day anyway. Uh, Brad, what games did you watch? I watched a good amount of Michigan and Buffalo. I thought this was a very fun game. Yeah, so I watched the whole first half of Buffalo and Michigan where Michigan was in control. I then switched over to a little bit of Seton Hall where Seton Hall blew out both their bye games, demolished Bailey Dickinson and Yale. But then I switched back uh, for about the last 10 minutes or so of Buffalo, Michigan, where Buffalo made a serious push. Janethan Williams was awesome. 30-something points. He's so shifty. The lefty who can just slip into the lane somehow and and, and make these runners and floaters. and He's gotten so much better. He was so wild as a freshman and sophomore. He was so wild. And he is so much more under control. He, he, he had the ball in his hands so much in that game. He only had two turnovers. Give him a lot of credit. Him and Ronaldo Segu look a lot better. I mean, they, they were both top 150 recruits. I think Williams was top 100. Yes. Um, and now in, in their senior seasons, they're really balling out. And Buffalo versus Ohio for the MAC championship should be really fun. Yes. And then for other- I thought I thought Michigan looked good. I, I don't think that this was a close game because Buffalo played well, not because Michigan did not. I thought Michigan looked very composed, very complete. Terrence uh, Williams was great. Pushing, pushing hard. He played twenty nine minutes. It's playing the three. Yeah. And, and Musa Diabate is very good. Great backup center. High energy. Uh, he, he's blocking shots. He's grabbing rebounds. He's super athletic. Yeah, he's awesome. My only other note on this game was I find it amusing that Buffalo's one through four of Sagu. Jonathan Williams, Josh Mbala, and Maceo Jack, who's the GW transfer who can really shoot the ball. They're all, like, athletic, quick-twitch dudes who can, like, really run the floor, get up and down. They're, they're skilled. They even have, like, off the bench, Keyshawn Bruton, who is a shooter at uh, Coastal Carolina. Uh, Trayvon Fagan's, like, a long athlete. And then their two centers are these just, like, completely unassuming white dudes who seem to only know how to foul in Brock Bertram and David Scoven. So that's my funny note of the day. I think they should play small ball with uh, Mbala at the five against Max schools. But anyway, I also caught this day. The only other game I like really kind of kept track of was uh, New Mexico, Florida Atlantic. I watched a little bit of New Mexico uh, in this game, and I watched a lot of New Mexico against Colorado. I watched most of that game. Uh, New Mexico not coming in the bottom of the – Mountain West. I don't know how good they'll be, uh, but this is a much, much improved New Mexico team. And I'm very glad their Ken Palm has only went up like 15 spots since the season began from like 287 to 270, because there's going to be some betting opportunities on this group for the next few weeks while t- people, the rest of the country figures out that they don't suck. Uh, they're well, they're going to be better. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to be top five in the league, but they're going to be very competitive. Jalen House, you know, he was kind of like a defensive minded guard at Arizona State. 
he looks very good scoring the ball. Like he's very shifty. Uh, you know, he can, he can get downhill. He can really shoot it. Uh, and then Jamal Mashburn next to him is good. Their front court is very long. I think they're still kind of figuring out who should, who should play. Uh, but Jethro Muscadine is the, you know, he, he, he's good around the rim and he could stretch it a little bit. Uh, they have, they have a Juco kid, Jay Allen Tovar, who was not very good against Colorado, but at 18 points and eight rebounds and three blocks against FAU. Uh, Terrence Todd's in there, kind of as a glue guy wing. Uh, they have Javante Johnson, who can shoot the three. He was a good recruit out of high school. I think they're going to wind up playing smaller later on. They've been playing a lot of these two, two backup centers, uh, uh, Barima Sek and Sebastian Forsling, who are freshmen, who I think will be good eventually. They're not good yet. Uh, this is a young team. They have no seniors. I think I think next year we're going to be talking about New Mexico. It's like a postseason team. My hot take of the day. The um, Mashburn House backcourt, if they stick together with the Todd on the wing, should be pretty formidable. I, I, I and that's again, it doesn't take rocket science. Like, to me, like the fact that that team was getting picked like ninth by the Mountain West, like that 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 backcourt is too good to finish ninth in the Mountain West. But again, I mean, who who who's coming below them? Because Wyoming has looked really good so far. Like it's gonna be tough, but yeah, I, I will say I think New Mexico is a little underrated, and I think Richard Pitino is doing a good job. They're playing at a much faster pace. They played Colorado side of the road. Uh, I, I think they're doing. I think they're gonna be better, you know, much improved. Arizona State loses to Riverside on a oh, heave. Awesome game. This was Thursday. Yes, this was Thursday. Yeah, let's move on to Thursday. Uh, Arizona State, the only team that I've seen so far to miss guys with COVID, and that was. Jay Heath and Jalen Graham, who should be two starters. Um, so that kind of set them up here to lose on the heave to a Riverside. Uh, Marion Jackson not playing well just yet. He's he's really the key to this team. That's why I had them as a, a bubble team in the preseason. Uh, but not a great start for the Sun Devils. Yeah, they they they're only. I mean, it was it was kind of the same old story that we've seen in the past with Arizona State teams, except. Instead of it being like your point guards, um, instead of it being your point guards that were just like running around like with the ball in their hands all the time, it was their two kind of jumbo wing forwards and Kimani Lawrence and uh, Marcus Bagley. Both those guys were really really aggressive and they played well. But UC Riverside is just so disciplined. Like it was, it's a tough matchup for for Arizona State because they do everything. Like they do everything that would cause a problem for an Arizona State, uh, with an Arizona State team because, like, they're they're very like they're very disciplined. They're willing to play a slow pace. Uh, they really really share the ball. Uh, they had uh, 19 assists on 23 made field goals. They had 14 threes. Uh, JP Mormon hits the kind of crazy shot at the end, but JP Mormon looked really good. JP Mormon is like a point. They're using him as like a point forward, uh, and him and him and Zion Pullen are both kind of creating. Sh- an offense the point wings it's fun to watch and even their big man Callum McCray 71 he could pass it that's a that's a very good Riverside team that'd be a tough draw in March and then I don't know what the hell's going on with Creighton but they cannot put the ball in the basket they've struggled with two sub 300 teams like their their Thursday game against Kennesaw State they were like one of 18 from three at one point or maybe maybe they, they finished at that but Maybe it's due to playing Kaluma and Hawkins together at the three and the four. Maybe it's just they're just so incredibly young 
I bet they're one of the youngest teams in the country. Um, I don't really know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't watch most of this game, but not a great sign for Creighton, even with Nebraska on the road coming up on Tuesday. Yeah. No, the... They're in, like, survival mode right now, right? It's like, all right, let's see if we can beat Nebraska on the road. Uh, and then they go to, I think, Paradise Jam, which is yeah, with they have Brown in their first game. Right. It's like a manageable slate there. You're just kind of like, all right, can we win? Can we win these bad? You know, can we win these games that are not like? Can we, can, can, can we win these games that we're, we're supposed to win and learn as we go? Uh, because right now they're far from finished product, which I think you'd expect, right? Like it's if they came out and looked really good, you know, you'd be, you know, you you'd be surprised. Like they're they're one of the youngest teams in the country. Even their guys that are, you know, even even the guys that are are, are older guys like O'Connell and Hawkins are stepping into very different roles than they have played in the past in their college careers. Just going to be an adjustment period. So I don't. I guess I wouldn't sell Creighton stock from where I had them. Uh, but if you were one of these, like, oh, they're going to be like a top five team in the conference. Ooh, rah, rah, rah. Uh, yeah. And then the only other thing I have from Thursday, Brad, uh, other than that it was fun that Tim Miles won his first game, um, is that I didn't watch much of this game, but TCU opened its season. We've had a lot of TCU conversations on this podcast, so it's fitting to bring them up. They're going all in on the, on the toughness. You got to. Heart not Look stars. Listen to this lineup. Mike Miles, okay, shooter, great, you know, good point guard, one of the better players in the country. Damian Bott, too, not a shooter, not a great shooter. All defense. At the three, we got Micah Peavy, not a shooter. Took two threes in this game, missed them. Uh, Emmanuel Miller, not a shooter. Took a three in this game, missed it. And then Eddie Lampkin at the five, who is used to be like 330 pounds and lost like 70 pounds, and now it's like 270. So... Much better shape, uh, but not a, obviously not a stretch big. Uh, for, first guy off the bench was was O'Bannon and and Farabello, the you know experienced guys. So this is a and then they rounded out the rotation with Cork and Wells, with Coles and Dumbia playing a little bit. So this is a you know an interesting uh, interesting team. They're they're not going to have a lot of shooting. It's going to be a lot on Mike Miles to create, but they could be a pretty good defense. Yeah. It- and just on the Creighton thing, you know, a lot of Creighton fans were buying this team to come in second in the Big East or, you know, push the top 25. That's definitely not going to happen. I had them NIT. I had them seventh in the Big East. As long as they can just don't step on the mines, just kind of survive in advance, beating Nebraska on Tuesday would be huge. But, you know, their, their upside is still going to be tremendous. Um, Sharif Mitchell, who's their guy who's played the most at Creighton in his career among this group, he, he's out. Um, I think he should be back rel- relatively soon. So getting another experienced guy who's played for Creighton in there uh, c- certainly couldn't hurt. I'm, I'm not selling Creighton. I think by, by the end of the year, both them and Marquette, who are both struggling with their buy games, I think they'll be much better. Um, so just don't, don't lose to any of these sub-300 teams and tank, tank the Big East. Uh, net like uh, Georgetown's trying to do. Survive in advance, baby. I mean, it's college basketball. You're not, it's not always going to be pretty. And then on on Friday, we talked about Utah State, Richmond. We talked about Minnesota and Western Kentucky. 
Um, I was very worried about Xavier. They had a tough Kent State team led by a lot of notable transfers. They had Sincere Carey at, at the point, Justin Hamilton from Temple at center. Um, a few other guys in there as well. They had um, they had the wing, uh, Turvel Beck from UNLV. Um, so they played pretty Man. well. Z- Xavier was able to pull Turvel away. Turvel Beck has been that is, that is ages ago. <laughs> How long ago was he on UNLV? So long. Well, Xavier played pretty well, pulled it out. We touched on Deontay Miles earlier. Um, and then I, I was unable to watch this one, but Furman upsets Louisville. Yes. Uh, out of my whole preseason top 25, the only team that I would move out after this week would be Louisville, and I would want Florida in there. But uh, not not a great start for the Chris Mack redemption tour, even though he wasn't even coaching, I don't think. Uh, but they're still going to find a way to blame him for it, I know. That is, I was going to bring up that point. Like, how do we, how do we score that? I didn't, I didn't watch this game. It seemed like the buzz, like the conversation seemed to be about the fact that their guard, they still don't really have a guard that can create offense, which is concerning. You know, Mason Faulkner, they, they kind of hope would, would, would help there. He did have seven assists, but only took two shots. Like that's pretty box score watching. That's a little concerning. Uh, Noah Locke put some shots up. Yeah, I'm not sure. They let him take some twos. Took seven twos. But uh, zero assists and three turnovers. So Noah Locke, not a point guard. Uh, it just feels like they don't really know who who the guys are, right? Like there's this Withers. Yeah, they're playing 11 court. guys. Huh? They're, they're playing like 11 guys. The Williams-Withers front court is awkward. Uh, even though Withers has taken threes. Uh, you know, they've got all of these wings, a lot of them kind of like jumbo wings, like Matt Cross and Dre Davis and Sam Williamson, who are all like 6'7, 220. Got like Sidney Curry's in the mix, JJ Trainers. Like, they have all these dudes. I just don't think they know who's got to play yet. And so, when you're playing a Furman team, and like Louisville was in control of this team most of the way, and like Furman kind of like, like Louisville was Louisville was was down, was down early. Then got rallied on, then like blew the lead in the third quarter, like the third period of the game. I'm at the Ken Palm box as well, and just like found a way to overtime. It was kind of like a, it didn't feel like Louisville was going to lose it for a while, and then all of a sudden Furman made the plays late and did and won it. Like that's a tough team to prep for, but it also wasn't pretty on Tuesday night against Southern. Like they didn't pull away in that game until very late. So lot to prove here, and uh, they have an interesting trip coming up a couple weeks where they play Mississippi State and then potentially Maryland. So Texas A&M survives a couple of bye games this week, I think three games, but the Abilene Christian one on Friday went to double overtime. And I hope this is our last time doing this segment, but I did not know that Quentin Jackson was still on Texas A&M. Um, so I just added him. I just added him to the box score, or, or, or to the depth charts right now. So uh, Manny Obaseki has not been playing a lot, uh, which is surprising. I thought he was supposed to be there kind of, Impact freshman ready to go, adding a scoring boost. But uh, Henry Coleman has had a couple of good games. So that's they're, they're that's, in survival mode right now. It seems like with their buy games. Absolutely. And then Oklahoma State losing to Oakland. Um, I think Caleb Boone is is out, so they weren't full strength. But still, that's you don't have a ton to play for. But like you're still playing for your, your 
your MBA stock and just your general pride and whatnot. So that was that was a little disconcerting and, and, and surprising for a team that we had borderline top 25. Uh, should we talk about the big game of the night, which was UCLA Villanova? Should have some like real thoughts about it. I mean, what what a missed opportunity for Villanova. They they had this game in control. Yeah, I mean, so I, I watched this game mostly at a bar, so I was not like, I didn't have like an engaged watch for the first like thirty minutes when Villanova was probably the better team for most of those thirty minutes. To me, the game script kind of felt very similar to villain, like to, to UCLA's whole Final Four run, right? Like the other team kind of does what it wants, but UCLA just, just stays in the fight, stays in the fight. And then the final 10 minutes, when it's winning time, their dudes made plays. And it wasn't always pretty plays, it was mid range shots by Juzang and, you know, floaters from Tiger Campbell. And, you know, it, it, again, it wasn't always pretty. Hakez filling the stat sheet. But when the plays need to be made, they made them. I didn't necessarily learn a lot about UCLA beyond they just they looked exactly like Final Four UCLA. Their defense, Miles Johnson was a non-factor really. I think part of that's the game, right? Villanova brings his bigs away from the basket. They did not want to give him a touch. He, he, oh no, he he had some open open opportunities where maybe he'd go one on the post, and they just they just would not get him a touch. But he changed the game, right? It was a it was a I believe a ten point. Villanova advantage with like six or so minutes left. Brandon Slater goes to the rim. Johnson blocks the shot, starts a fast break for a Tiger Campbell three. Campbell played really well in this game. Um, I thought Campbell and Hawkins were, were were the two best players for our UCLA. Uh, Juzang had his one flurry in the early second half where he just couldn't miss. But, uh, other than that, he was pretty quiet. Um, and, he, and, and, and he really, I mean, it's funny because as I recall – out of high school, the billing was like, oh, he's three and D. You know, like he's he's like a guy who's going to hit shots and defend. He is not a good defender. And quite frankly, he's not even like a great three-point shooter. What he is is he's just like a bucket getter. He's like a he's like a get him the ball in the mid post and let him uh let him let him hit a fader. You know, let him let him work himself to his spots and go get it's, get it's all jumpers with him though. You know, oh yeah. Everything's a jumper, and he he hit a bunch. Um, yeah, between Hakez and then both both teams were playing like you know razor thin rotations where Villanova was pretty much just playing their six experienced guys, and then uh, Chris Archidiakono got like a little run in each half, and then UCLA was running with their starters, and then mostly Jalen Clark uh, as as a defensive guy down the stretch. Kenny Nwuba got a little run to back up Miles Johnson, and Davis Singleton play, played pretty well when he was in there. But down the stretch, both teams were really relying on their top five or six it, guys. It's amazing. We we talked about both of these teams having very good quality depth, and it's like, nope, <laughs> we've got six guys. Well, both of those groups of six, I mean, is, is really strong. Like 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 Villanova has Caleb Daniels coming off the bench. It was like a double-figure guy last year, right? I mean, he, he averaged like 18 points a game at Tulane. Uh, and then if you're UCLA, I mean, guys like Clark and Singleton are, are, are very old. Or they're not very old, but they played last year on a Final Four team, rotation minutes. They're, they're, 
they're great recruits. They're serious contributors. Um, and then Villanova just did, didn't want to go to any of their freshmen. Yeah. Um, I, but, can, I, can, I, can I just add that Jules Bernard is like the most forgotten about man in college basketball? See, I was, I was praying that Peyton Watson was going to start over him and then maybe Bernard would want to come to like a Providence and sh- show off his uh, scoring chops for his COVID year. He's but, very good. Yeah, he can really shoot it. He's a, he's a great shooter, but he has more game than that, and he's super yeah. long. He's a good defender. He's a he's a multi positional defender. He's a he's like he's I don't know if I I don't know if this is a limb, but like he's like the best fourth best player in the country. Could be, yeah. I, I mean, and then Cody Riley was out for a UCLA, but yes, yeah. You know, Bernard hit you know I think the game tying basket to go to overtime. He hit. Hit a bunch of threes. I mean, he was he was really impressive. And then for for Villanova, I thought Eric Dixon was very surprising. Like he he made a jump. His uh, feet were moving pretty well. And you know, when they were going to him, he was scoring a lot in the post. They were really exploiting mismatches, getting Justin Moore on like a Camel or, or Juzang and letting him just back his way to the rim. What hurt Villanova really was Moore's foul trouble because when he picked up his fourth foul, UCLA starts making their run, and then Villanova couldn't generate enough offense uh, with Gillespie and Daniels and Slater and out there. Daniels d- didn't have a great game. Gillespie missed a few chippies down the stretch that could have extended the lead. Um, but overall, I mean, it's a huge missed opportunity for Nova. They basically had that game in the bag. It would have been huge for them and huge for the conference, but... Um, Great game overall. Both both teams really passed the eye test, and now we'll have Villanova Tennessee on Saturday. Um, yes, very excited about that game. That's part of the Hall of Fame, one of the Hall of Fame events at Mohegan. Uh, was there anything else from Friday that we should have? I'll, I'll, I'll show you one more thing on Villanova UCLA. Villanova's defense, I thought, looked good. You know, the three men we brought this up from the Mount, Mount St. Mary's game. Um, like, they looked big physically. Villanova looked big physically in this game. Like, Justin Moore is a big dude. Brennan Slater is gigantic. You know, Samuels is big. These guys look these guys look huge. And the defense generally looked pretty competent. Did a good job with, like, the, the extended zone press that they were doing to kind of slow teams down. They're going to need stuff like that because they don't have uh, – like they don't they don't have that elite rim protector back there. So I, I thought Villanova's defense looked good. I feel a little more comfortable with them as a top five-ish team than I did before this game. I'll put it that way. Their their offense looked good too. Like they were getting much easier shots than they had been the last two years. I don't I don't really know what it was. I mean, the, the ball was moving. I don't know if, if having like a more traditional three-man like Slater in there was working for them because he was opportunistic. Kind of posting up and going to the going to the rim as well. He had a couple of nice finishes, um, but Moore and Gillespie hit hit their shots. They were d- doing their post back downs into easy five footers, and have having Dixon being able to score is really really crucial too, especially after losing Robinson Earl. But they were getting easier shots against a very good UCLA defense. So very encouraging start for Nova, and then just. The game that was supposed to be maybe a little interesting, SMU Oregon and Oregon just blew them out of the water. And then Stanford lost at Santa Clara. 
Yes. That was that was. I didn't see either of those games, so I don't really have opinions on them. Uh, I stayed up till two a.m. for the Villanova game. It was like eleven thirty Eastern till- tip, and then overtime. Are you never up till two a.m.? What, what what's your normal bedtime, Brad? When are you normally in bed? Every every night it's like twelve fifteen. Okay, that's like when I usually go to bed. But on the weekends, I'm I usually I, I, I'll push it to one. Oh, and then what? What could be a sneaky game in March, but no, you know nobody saw was the BYU San Diego State game where BYU won. I don't I don't even know if that was nationally televised, but oh, and then a Nevada loss as well. So kind of a lot happened on Friday. Yes, and, Nevada, and it, feel, it feels so good to, to, to not have these games canceled for COVID. Oh, so good. Knock on wood, right? But. Anything on Saturday? I know, well, I know. I was I was at a, a a function on Saturday night, and I I was kind of away from my phone. And when I first got my first look at the scoreboard, and I saw that Delaware was beating Siena by thirty points, I almost fell out of my chair. Did you have to bring this up? <laughs> what, what's going on with Siena? Okay, so look the. The Delaware Siena game was was dreadful. Uh, shout out to the Borzello uh, fighting blue hens. Uh, Jair Davis. He 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 does not pop. I'll put it that <laughs> way. He's just kind of out there. Wants to shoot a lot of threes. It's not very good. Delaware looked good. Like they're very complete basketball team. Dylan Painter is really good. Their guards were making threes, which is, makes them really hard to guard. And then they have a sophomore big man, Andrew Carr, who's six foot nine, and like putting the ball behind his back and blocking shots he could stretch it a little bit but he he's a he's a player uh sienna like so, so here's here, here's the game flow sienna opened the game pretty solid like they're hitting shots they're playing basically even with, with De- delaware then they had like a five minute period where they spontaneously combusted delaware took a 14 point lead sienna then fought back and for the like the first five minutes, the, the final like five-ish minutes of the first half of the, of the first half and the first like six, seven minutes of the second half, Siena looked exactly what I wanted them to be. Like they were they, they they had like a general rhythm, like they were they were making plays defensively, they were getting deflections, all this shit. Uh they were, you know, they were getting on transition, they were hitting threes, like it, it, it was working. And then again, they just like spontaneously combusted. And it went from like they they, they had they were down by there were there were two sequences where Siena was down by like two possessions on opportunity to one possession, and then like two things didn't go their way, and and, and right after that happened, then Delaware went on like a twenty-two to one run or something ridiculous like that. And Siena was like, and it was like the worst of the of the like of those type things too. It was like it was like they're dribbling at half court with like the four man. He like tries to just leave the ball for the point guard, but the point guard doesn't realize it, so the Delaware guy just like runs in, grabs the ball, and goes for a dunk. Right? Like it was that bad. It was like. It, it was dreadful. Uh, they have a lot to figure out. Uh, my big concern is that Aiden Carpenter does not look like a point guard. And so I want them to use JV McCollum, the freshman there. Once he's healthy, he had a knee injury. It sounded like JV was going to be out for a while. It sounds like he's doing better and might be back next next week. So if he's back, I would like to see JV at the point guard instead of Aiden. Uh, Anthony Gaines is fine, kind of up and down. He needs to be more aggressive. You know, I don't... I am not surprised Siena is going to be bad in the non-conference. Like I kind of expected that. Like they're a young group. They're, they're, they have ten new guys. They're just working it out. But 
I was very discouraged by the fact that they just like didn't really show effort in the second half and when they were getting kicked in the teeth by Delaware. So uh, hopefully they put up a good fight against Yale uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, and then Georgetown might be one of the game on the road. So we'd love to win one of those two games before, uh, before getting to a more manageable part of the schedule with Bucknell and Army and Holy Cross and American to close up the non-conference. The big Patriot League tour. So I mean, if, if only someone said that Siena should have added a grad transfer point guard in the offseason. Um, but then they would have lost Aiden, who they like. That was the problem. How, how would they have lost? He was going to transfer? Yes. Oh, my God. Well... Hope, hope you enjoy the uh, the 30-point Delaware beatdown. Um, I, 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 not only did I not not enjoy it, I nearly turned it off. That's that's the worst. I was like, oh, well, and the problem is my Western football also sucks. It's like I have nothing right now. My Western men's basketball is my savior. So I, I was so ready to talk about Florida, Florida State. I completely forgot about Texas Gonzaga. We have to talk about Texas Gonzaga before we. Which I I watched in, in in its entirety this morning, and I still kind of forgot about it. Just Gonzaga built an early lead and just kind of kept their foot on the gas the whole way. Kept Texas at arm arm's length. Drew Timmy was absolutely automatic. Texas tried Bishop. They tried Mitchell. It was horrible. Mitchell had a horrible, horrible game. They tried Brock Cunningham. They tried Timmy Allen. Um, no one could really stop Drew Timmy. Chet didn't really have to even do anything. He had a couple of nice defensive plays, a couple of nice passes. But it was really the, the uh, Drew Timmy show. And then uh, Razier Bolton was the beneficiary of a couple open threes. Nimhard looked really good in in control as the point guard. And, you know, another team in Gonzaga who we say depth, depth, depth. And they play six guys and... Hickman and Salas get a couple of table scraps, and that's all all that they use in a pretty in-hand game against Texas. Gonzaga just looked polished. You know, Gonzaga looked complete. Andrew Nampard had, like, seven points in this game. I think he might be the best guard in the country. Like, he was so good. Like, I think... The, the clearest sign that you did not watch this game was if, if, if anyone says, like, Andrew Nampard wasn't that good and Gonzaga still won. He was outstanding. He was setting everything up, running the show, Kate, the, the tempo of the team. I thought he was outstanding. And Timmy, obviously, was great as well. And then for Texas, I think the, the main kind of theme was uncertainty with Carr, Ramey, and Jones not – feel natural playing together. They went a lot of Febris in for Jones down the stretch. Febris actually hit a, hit a few shots. Um, but, but the three of them, and then Timmy Allen at the four, who's not a shooter, he, he did hit a wide-open three to start the game. Um, but they Texas just could not get anything going. They didn't have any good lineups. Um, they, their bigs were getting abused in the post. Their guards were kind of indecisive playing your turn, my turn. Not out of selfishness, just kind of out of, you know, what do we do? How do we play together? Um, and then Brock, Brock Cunningham played a lot as a glue guy. Hit hit a shot, but um, n- I, I'm not selling a- any Texas stock. I, I think the chemistry is going to take a little while, but most teams they played, they should just be able to out, out-talent them. Gonzaga is not one of those teams. Yes. Yeah, I think Texas 
I'm not like out on Texas right now. I think they have a lot to figure out. I think Disu will help them a lot because he'll give them a lot more lineup versatility. And he's not someone who's going to need the ball in his hands to create all the time. He's going to be able to like hit shots and space the floor, which will help them. I think they have kind of an identity crisis right now. A point guard, they need a better Marcus Carr than what they got yesterday. Ramey also needs to be better than what they got. Um, and I think, again, I think their centers will be okay, right? Like, they just don't have a center who can guard who can guard this game, right? Like, Christian Bishop. Like every every team Bishop needs that enormous dude, you know? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and they don't have one. Right. But Christian Bishop is, like, he was a non-factor in this game. And it wasn't felt, it was just like, all right, he can't guard Timmy, he's out, right? That won't be a problem. Yeah, that's the best best post score in the country. So if they run up against Michigan, they're going to have the same issues with, with Hunter Dickinson. Um, but, but overall, yeah, I'm not too worried about Texas yet. But Gonzaga looks like the right pick at number one. At least to start. Yes, they clearly are complete. I thought Rajir Bolton was excellent in this game as well. Didn't didn't have to do much other than just shoot the open shots. Right. But, you know, it was just that, a perfect that's role. example of, of Gonzaga maximizing things for a player. And also the narrative of, oh, he's not a winning player because he played at Penn State and Iowa State when they're leading the score. Well, well like he, he's not going to torpedo Gonzaga's season. Right. Like, his style he's is. Not any, he's not any more or less of a winning player now that he's on Gonzaga. Well, I guess the way I would frame it is this. Like, if he had went to a lot of other teams, it's possible he could have wound up in a situation where he's, like, taking all the shots, which is not good for your team. But Gonzaga, like, it, there's such boundaries at Gonzaga that are necessary for him. Uh, we should also – can we also mention Chet real quick? Because there was a lot of, like, takes off of Chet not doing really anything in this game. I thought, like, the right take was that he was impactful on defense because of his presence around the rim, even though he only blocked two shots. Uh, do you have any different I mean I thought he was quiet on offense which is not surprising I wanted a little bit more from him but I didn't I didn't have like a negative reaction to his game no I mean he, he didn't do anything wrong right I mean they were just feeding Timmy the ball Timmy like 40 points <laughs> Timmy was unstoppable I mean I he, he played with himself and Gonzaga could just crush the top five team so I, I don't know. I don't know where that's gone. I, I, I mean, to say someone who got two blocks was not that impactful defensively is insane. I mean, Obiagu today for Seton Hall, who had three blocks in the game, was just an absolute monster. And, you know, if someone's like, he wasn't that impactful, he only had three blocks. I mean, that's insane. Obiagu was just walling up and Yale was firing layups off the backboard to start a Miles Kale fast break. I mean, it, it was incredible. Um, but that was that was kind of my Seton Hall take mixed in, too. Should we... Oh, Seton Hall. I'm in. They look I'm, really good. Oh, holy crap. I think I had them too low at 21. I... I, I so, so I had bet uh, before the season, I put $10 on them, 10 to 1 to win the Big East. And I uh, circled back and put ten more this afternoon. There you go. I, I like, mean, they, so so they have an enormous front court with like Yetna sitting pull up threes. I didn't know that he had that in a in in his bag. So Samuel Yetna, had a great first. Game. Yetna looked Yetna looked like CBI Yetna. Remember when I was at the C, CBI for South yeah, for Florida? DePaul, South Florida? Awful. I mean, oh my god. 
Um, and then people were like, oh, yeah, South Florida's got some direction now. It's like Quincy Rito, a point guard, and Yetna, and then it all collapsed. Obiagu was an – I cannot stress enough how much of a beast he was. You love Obiagu so much. I love all these seven-footers. I loved Romero Gill, too. I, I, I had a heart better. attack when, when people were saying Aaron Thompson was a better defensive player than Romero Gill. But then you have Trey Jackson, who's super athletic off the bench. You have Samuel, who can play inside and out, had a great first game. I mean, those are your four bigs. They're all old. You know, they're they're, they're all at least juniors. Obiago is a fifth-year guy. I think Yetna is a fifth-year guy, too. And then on the perimeter, you have two microwave scoring guards in Aiken and Harris. And you just have these enormous athletic defensive disruptors with Kale and Richmond. And then Roden didn't even we have to do Both have offensive game. game, too. Like, they're not, like, they're yeah. complete players, yeah. Kale, Kale looks like he's taking the jump. Richmond didn't even play that well, I don't think. And he still had double-figure points. He had his... a much better game against Yale. I yeah. thought he was good. But he didn't, and like, then, explode, yeah. Get, getting nothing from Roden, you're a 15-point-per-game scorer who's, who's come back from an ankle injury. I mean, he, um, he, did, he did put up 8-10. Eight, eight and 10. He wasn't that bad. No, but he, he wasn't very impactful. I mean, that no. was... That was late game stuff, but Seton Hall is looking great, uh, and we'll they see really do. at at Michigan on Tuesday. How about the Dickinson Obiagu center battle? Yeah, Obiagu's gonna be locking him down. He's gonna be you're gonna be tweeting off things like crazy. Brad does. Brad rarely tweets, but the opportunity to shout out a defensive center, especially a seven foot defensive center. So, yeah, I I did with Miles. I did with Obiagu. I did with. Uh, Anthony Derugi at the four. He's a monster. Physically. He's a wrecking ball. He's holy cow. In the passing lane, he's rebound, blocking shots, throwing down alley oops, hitting threes. He had a monster some, game uh, today. Let's some Brad Cav tweets from opening week. Let's see if uh, are, are they all Derugi's a wrecking ball. Love the energy athleticism. Deontay Miles could really move his feet. Uh, Watson and Horkler getting blown by every play. Love the effort from Bryce Aiken. Mania has been really, really bad. We get one tweet a day from Brad. We, we, come on, you, you got to give us some volume here, Brad. Dude, how about, Big East tweet a day? How about Bryce Aiken was there up by like fifty points? He's diving on the floor for a loose ball this when he's finally healthy. Go, what the hell is yeah. that? <laughs> no, but that 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 Florida Florida State game. I mean, it was so ugly. For like the first ten minutes, where it felt like Florida was dominating, and the score was like ten to ten after ten minutes. And then it was about 45-45, and then Florida just broke it open. Uh, they, they, I guess, had a lot of guys with the flu. I guess Felder had the flu, so he didn't play much. They, they pretty much rode their six guys. And with, like, like we said, Deruji was a monster. Castleton was probably the best player. Another, another big who can really move his feet. I, I was surprised. Uh, I, I didn't remember him be, being that mobile. He was blocking shots, finishing around the rim, and then. Between Fleming, McKissick, Appleby, they were getting great defense and some late shot making. Yeah, should we mention the Florida Florida State game more real quick? Florida yeah. State's offense is a wreck right now. It's awful. Well, they they cannot win when Caleb Mills and Anthony Pellet are going to combine two for fourteen. You know, they they both need to average fourteen points a game for a Florida State to even reach where I am at like thirty. I, they just don't feel – I don't – I mean, first off, Cleveland did not strike me 
as much as I thought he would. I thought Cleveland was be a much more polished scorer. He, str- he today he looked to me like a kind of like a like a more of a project. You know, he's not like yeah. a not like a super high field guy, just like long, athletic, uh, mid range guy. I thought he was gonna be like a bucket getter. He's not a bucket getter. Uh, they were doing all of this, uh, all, a lot of these smaller lineups with no true center. Tanner and Gom did not play. John Butler was out there a lot. He's like all arms and legs. He's got a lot of upside, but yeah, the uh, John Butler experience was two knockdown smooth three pointers, and then nothing. And then the very next play, just getting one dribble blown by for a layup. He he he's not very good yet, uh, but he, really he will be good. You know they're playing. They're playing. Wyatt Wilkes is out there for you know as long as he could be, but he can't do anything other than shoot. You know Osborne can't be your best player. You know this is it, it, this was bad. I mean this was this was like my worst nightmare. Bad for them. And again, maybe it's just that Florida's going to be good. Uh, I thought Castleton looked fantastic again. That kid, the fact that he was the, the fact. The, the the only mistake that uh, Juwan Howard's ever made was uh, Austin Davis getting minutes instead of force feeding him all the Castleton to keep him around. But hot take. Castleton's been a huge beneficiary of that. And, he's outstanding. Know, he's, he he is. He dominated the game on a uh, Florida State. I I think once Engam gets back, I think maybe he starts and you move Wilkes off the bench. I think and Ingham's gonna be better, I think, than McLeod and, and Butler, you know, yeah. as a fifth year senior. And the, and and that'll give you that Florida State shot blocking seven footer um that they didn't really have with Butler not being an impact guy on, on defense and, and and McLeod didn't look like he was an impact guy either, at least at the start. And so when you know when, when you're starting Osborne at, at the five as like your six seven, six eight forward, you don't have your traditional Florida State size yes they do not they they didn't they looked like a real work in progress um from the florida front though beyond castleton and deruji we talked about earlier uh brandon mckissick i really thought he brought a great great energy great spirit to the game uh so did fleming yes both those guys energy 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 playing hard good defense they were they were tenacious and then uh I found out of a player that I did did not know, know existed, Elijah Kennedy. It's like, who the hell is this guy? Reclass. I, three, I was like, who who is this guy? I was He's like, a late reclass. I was like, barely. I was like watching, like, and I have other sound on. And I heard like freshman knocks it down. I was like, Reeves. That doesn't look like Reeves. And then they're like Elijah Kennedy. I was like, who the hell is Elijah Kennedy? Yeah, reclass. He seems to be slightly in the mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they really went with just those six guys. But then, you know, I'm sure Florida State will get better down the stretch as Worley looks more comfortable. Uh, he he did not look comfortable in this game. And as as you said, Cleveland's a real work in progress. He's very athletic. He can hit his shot, but um, we'll see what what he can bring. And then Fletcher had like a nice play early, but was kind of quiet. But the uh, I, I, saw the, I saw the same play, and I was like, maybe they're. I, I was literally about to tweet after that play, like, wow, Leonard Hamilton's going to get another, like, reclamation project out of Cameron Fletcher, who I thought stunk. And then the rest of the game, he stunk. And I was like, oh, well, maybe not. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to come down to Kayla Mills and Anthony Polite. And I think we know Polite can do it, and we're thinking probably Mills can do it. But Mills, Mills was awful. But again, Florida's guards were very aggressive and tough at the point of attack in this game. Absolutely. All right. I think that closes out opening week. Uh, I'll be at Illinois Marquette tomorrow. Brad will be watching Providence, Wisconsin. We'll probably get a tweet at some point about how uh, – like Justin and I can't play defense or something. Is the defense Jared is Bynum's not too, good enough but... in a game like this. But I think defense is better in game two. But I want to see more more Allen Breed, please. You love yourself some Allen Breed. Yeah, so I'm at Providence, New Hampshire on Thursday. But I mean, we have a great slate this week with Gavit Games. Gavit Games. And then also on Tuesday, Virginia Houston, right where you have. Virginia loses to Navy. Houston is taken overtime by Hofstra, so we'll see if a team can get like a nice cheap resume win. I won't. I won't be watching because I'm, or or at least I won't be watching the second half because I'm going to be locked in on seeing all Michigan. But. Yeah, that's going to be a great game. Uh, Liberty LSU has some potential. Uh, that'll be a fun game. You've got a. Uh, that's that's on that's on Monday. Uh, Hofstra Iona, fun game, mid-major, mid-major. James Madison, EKU. I made some money betting on EKU to beat uh, Milwaukee. Money line. They were underdogs. I was like, no way. Give me A.W. Hamilton over Pat Baldwin every day. Uh, I mentioned that Memphis-St. Louis game, first real test for Amani, who's been good statistically. Amani Bates, uh, 73.7% true shooting percentage through two games. He's taken only uh, – scored 17 points on nine shots in the opener. And 15 points on seven shots in game two. It's a good sign. In the mid mid major land, we have Furman and Belmont, Buffalo, North Texas on Monday, too. True. Well, John, North Texas. I'm a big Grant McCaslin guy, as you know. Uh, is there any other game? Oh, St. John's, Indiana. That's a good test. Very excited about that game. Do we, do we know why USC is like flying around the globe? What they're doing, they did at Temple yesterday, and now on Tuesday they're doing at Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, the at FGCU game is an Enfield favor. I saw Florida Gulf Coast. Do you want, do you want an FGCU opinion, Brad? Better than expected because of Kevin Samuel's enormous monster? No. Um, well, they, they, they hung in. I mean, Loyal punched them out the first half, and then FGCU came back and made it very interesting late, and then Loyal pulled away. Uh, they hung in mostly because Tavian Dunn-Martin uh, had like 34 points on like 10 made threes. He was absurd. Um, Kevin Samuel had two points in the game. He looked he looked a little out of shape. Uh, looked like he might have chosen Florida Golf Coast for quality of life. <laughs> but that said, I mean, he, he, he certainly made an impact on the game, but not on offense. I mean, he made an impact defensively. He, he was that defensive center you love and really dominated um, really dominated Jacob Hudson, the starting center for Loyola. When they put in the quicker center uh, in Chris Knight, he, Knight, Knight had some success. Also, Knight had a lot of – both bigs, Knight and Tom Welch, had a lot of success whenever they went to their backups. So. Did you see, too, that Jabri Abdurrahim is already coming off the bench for Georgia? Yikes. Tough news for my prop bet. 
Um, and, and then and back to the slate for this week. How about we we already saw one trap game with Santa Clara playing. At, sorry, with Stanford playing at Santa Clara and taking a 16 point beatdown. UNC has at Charleston on Tuesday, um, which again is like why, why, why are you doing this to yourself, UNC? But and then 10 o'clock BYU Oregon. It's a solid under the radar game late. Yes, very good game. BYU, got to get tested. Got to see how good this team is. Very excited about BYU. Uh, Marcelo Mann through and through. So we'll see uh, We'll see how it goes. But looking forward to second week. Lot, lots to learn. Uh, and then certainly Thanksgiving week will be a lot of fun. Because of Thanksgiving week, I'm not 100% sure what our podcast schedule will be next weekend. Hopefully we'll get one on Sunday before, we, uh, before I leave for Vegas. If not, we might have to do uh, – different maybe i'll do like a twitter spaces like live in vegas and i'll have you come in brad and we'll just do like half of the podcast on twitter spaces that may be fun we'll figure something out well, well we have northwestern and providence is on that monday the 22nd that's a that's a late tip right that's like a 9 30 tip well that, that's early in vegas though oh, that's right but that's just beginning in las vegas so. i i really need providence to to beat Wisconsin, and I really, really need them to beat Northwestern. Northwestern's better than Wisconsin. I know. And I was going to do that in the preseason, and you told me not to. I mean, I, I took your sage wisdom on the Big Ten. I mean, I, I still don't trust that Northwestern will be better than Wisconsin in the Big Ten standings, but I think Northwestern's the better basketball team. So. And if we could just hit Eliminator Challenge, we both took oh. a strike. Oh, I got to do mine for this week. Just nonsense. But I think I found the, the objective, correct response for this week i love that i love that there's a correct response hey i i still think georgetown was was the correct response i mean some people pick texas a&m with three games uh and nearly lost two of them but so and now these these numbers are i believe preseason numbers but kansas state has omaha only who was 353 in t-rank and Texas A&M has only Houston Baptist, who is 349. Yeah, I mean, I mean no one can screw that up. A&M, you got to play, for sure. K-State, probably too, yeah. Because you can't really touch the Big East and the Big Ten because of Gavin. Right. So. Yeah, I have to look at mine right now, actually. So that'll be what I spend my, the rest of my Sunday evening doing. But this is fun. Week one done. I enjoyed college basketball being back. I enjoyed student sections. I enjoyed, like you said, not having to like worry if the game was getting canceled. Uh, it's been great. There's been one FBS football game canceled all year, uh, and that was this week because Cal plays in the city – because Cal's uh, health department in Berkeley, California, like requires all the players who are vaccinated to get tested if players around them get COVID. So like they don't have to – they don't get contact traced into quarantine, but they get they, – they, they, they all have to get tested, I think. And like more players test possible once you get tested, actually. So uh, they couldn't play. But the fact that we've had that much success in basketball might be a little bit harder because it's indoors and basketball might be a little harder because if you were players, so you get five people test positive, you probably can't play or like six players can't play. But things, uh, things looking up to have a normal college basketball season. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying every second of it. So let's do it. Let's do this again next week, Brad, shall we? Absolutely. Please pray for Providence.
pray for providence. All right, see you later, folks.